Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. For you today, for what you're going to face this week, let me hear you say amen. All right, today what we're going to do is we're going to take a special Sunday and we're going to talk a little bit to moms and about moms. But I told you at the beginning of the service, our goal is to understand more about the heart of our Father in heaven by looking a little bit at the heart of moms. And I'll be honest with you, when I was, a, when I was teaching children in church, sometimes they'd bring a painting to me, you know, like a little coloring sheet um, that they colored on and they made their own original art or sometimes our children would bring paintings to me. And I get nervous every time that happens because this feels like a setup to me. Like I'm supposed to know what's on that page. And I'm like, oh, look at this dog that you made. And they say, that's not a dog. It's a truck. And oh, look at this beautiful painting that you made. And I get it totally wrong. And every time that they come up there, I get this little nervous twitch because I'm trying to affirm their artwork. But let's just be honest, y'all. It's finger painting. That's not a masterpiece. And I'm just one of those guys that is struggling trying to figure out, why did you color out of the lines right here? Because it looks like, never mind. And this is a vivid example of the difference between me and a mother's heart. Because I have seen this countless times where a child will bring a painting or a little finger painting or some crayons on on a piece of paper up to a mom and she will treat this thing like he just created the world's greatest work of art right and it ends up on the refrigerator door and here's what I'm trying to say only a mother could have the kind of passion let me go back for a second only moms could have the kind of passion Joseph can you find that and throw it up there on the screens the kind of love that would make a finger painting feel like it's supposed to be a masterpiece that's something that only moms and do. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at mom and we're going to look at probably the second greatest mom that ever lived. Look, Jesus or God in heaven trusted his son Jesus with a mother. And I just got to say, Mary's got to be the greatest mother who ever walked on earth because God recognized in this young girl something that he could trust enough to allow her to become the one who would help raise his son. But there's a mother in the Old Testament that absolutely blows me away. And we're going to take a look at Hannah from the book of 1 Samuel. Now, if you have been following along with us, our church has been studying systematically verse by verse through the book of John. Today, we're going to take a one-week break, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to look at Hannah. This incredible mother who leaves such an impact on a, in a very short period of time that she impacts not only her son, but I am convinced she impacts the nation and your faith is probably different because of this mother. And hey, let's just be honest. Mom can make such a difference than when somebody wins the championship, when they receive the MVP trophy, when they stand up at the award ceremonies, they will inevitably point back to mama and they will say, thank you, mama. That's how much of an impact a mother leaves in her life. We're going to take a look at Hannah, this one chapter of the Bible that describes her. 
There's kind of four things that I hope you're going to see. Um, four challenges, basically, not just for mamas, but for all of us in this room. But when we get done, I've got a big one to put in front of you. And this one is for all of us. So because we've got a lot of scripture to cover, let's roll up our sleeves and let's learn a little bit about this mama. And honestly, the reason why I selected this passage today is because there's two types of people that are tuned in or in this room right now that may be hurting really bad today on Mother's Day. And I want to speak directly to those two types of people. So the first thing that I want you to see about Hannah as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's right there for you in that mobile app, is how passionate she is to be a mother and how painful this is for her when she's unable to conceive. 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, describes Samuel's mama. There was a man from Ramath Zoam in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph, and Ephraimite. Glad I got those names out of the way. He had two wives. Before you get carried away, we're going to talk about two wives in just a second. He had two wives, and the first wife was named Hannah, and the second was named Peninnah. Now, Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Pause for a second. This is before the temple has been built. This is before there is a building. There's a tent in the desert, a desert place called Shiloh, and that tent has the Ark of the Covenant and God's high priest there. Eli is the high priest. Eli has two sons. And every year, Elkanah and his whole family will go to that tent in the desert to worship God there. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions, because he's a good dad, he gave portions of meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah. For he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Pause for a second. I need you to see what it says on the screens. Hannah can't have babies. And the Bible tells us exactly why Hannah is not having babies. For the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival, Peninnah, would taunt her severely just to provoke her. Because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way, and Hannah would weep and would not eat anything. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband, Elkanah, would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than 10 sons. Can you see the pain that this mother is going through, this woman is experiencing? Back in Bible times, it wasn't always, but it was sometimes the case that a man would have more than one wife, polygamy. Now, the Bible doesn't approve of polygamy, but in Bible days, if a 
man married and the woman couldn't conceive, often he would go and take a second wife. Think about Abraham and Sarah and Sarah's concubine, Hagar. This second wife would deliver children and carry on the family name and be able to inherit the family land. And in a Bible times, it was the ultimate sign of disgrace. It was extremely shameful to be a woman who's married and not able to conceive. So already Hannah is hurting because she's married. The Bible calls her Elkanah's first wife. That may mean that he married her first and that the second wife came later, but it definitely means she is first in Elkanah's heart and first in order of importance. And Elkanah loves his wife and she's hurting and he's trying to comfort her and he's hurting because she's hurting. She is passionate about having children and she's not in a position where she can have children right now. And for several ladies in my life, you that know exactly what this is like, they spent years married and wanting to start a family, but not able to conceive. And they were broken for those years about not able to have children. Part of the reason why I wanted us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 today is to speak directly to those ladies on Mother's Day. Because for ladies that want to have children but can't, Mother's Day hurts really, really bad. It hurts almost like Hannah hurt. Because when she went up to the temple, she was reminded by her rival, the second wife, that she was substandard and not um, able to conceive. And it was like digging, stabbing her with a knife and digging it in and making her feel bad because she was being taunted about not having children. And for those ladies who are married and really, really want to have a baby, but can't, This day hurts really, really bad for ladies like this. And today, what I want you to know is ladies like Hannah know what it feels like. I want you to know that other people are able to come alongside you and to love you and to support you and to try to help help you. But I also want you to know you cannot miss this from the Bible today. A husband and wife can come together, but only God can create a living soul. And the Bible is telling us the reason why Hannah can't have a child is because God has prevented her from having a baby. She's passionate about being a mother. And unfortunately, she's not able to have children And this woman does what any Christian woman would do. She pours her soul out to God when she prays. And maybe one of the most powerful spiritual forces on earth is a mother that is pleading from the depths of her soul with the holy God for her children because that's what you see. That kind of prayer is what you see from Hannah. Look at Hannah's prayer as this mom prays for her son before she even conceives. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. This is that tent in the desert, and he's sitting at the entrance. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. 
Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction. Look at she's saying, this hurts so much that I am deeply wounded. That's what that word affliction is. If you will look at my wounds, God, and then look at what she says next. Remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. Look at this. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. Look at the way that she's praying right now, because the Bible is vivid with this language. While she, was con- while she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought that she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. That's how moved this woman was in prayer. She answers, no, my Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I have been pouring my heart out before the Lord. Notice this play on words. Instead of pouring wine and beer into my heart, I've been pouring my heart out to God. And don't think of me as a wicked woman. I have been praying from the depths of my anguish and my resentment. I'm hurting and I need God to know that I'm hurting. And she is begging God to stand up and to take notice. It would have been normal for Eli to be at the doorpost where people come in and people leave. And because he's at the doorpost, he can see this woman. She's over there across the, the room and she is making gestures and her mouth is moving, but nothing is coming out. And he just assumes, oh, she's drunk because of the way that she's acting. But this is a powerful prayer. Can I just remind you that your prayers don't impress God when you use really fancy words. Your vocabulary does not impress or honor God. No, this is the kind of prayer that really impresses God because it comes from the deepest recesses of your soul. It's this really powerful prayer because it's this kind of prayer where you have nothing left. You're opening yourself up totally and being completely vulnerable to him. You're being totally honest and telling him what he already knows, but you're holding nothing back. I've been all over the world. I've been to the corners of the earth. I have seen parents in the most difficult circumstances trying to raise children on dirt floors. And I've seen parents in very powerful families, very wealthy families in some of the most modern cities on earth. And every parent that I have ever met, all corners of the earth, they all share the same hope. They all share the same goal for their children. They want their children to have a better future than they had. And they are hoping for the future for their children. This kind of prayer comes from a parent, a mom or a dad, who recognizes I'm supposed to raise a son or a daughter to be pure and to be godly, but everywhere that I look, this world is racked with evil and with temptation. How on earth am I going to be able to raise a pure son or a godly daughter in an evil age like this? And can I just remind you, Every generation, because of the universal brokenness of sin, every generation has been 
there's been temptation and evil all around. But it feels like this generation has more temptation, more readily available than perhaps ever before. And any parent like Hannah would be wise to get on your face and to beg God for your children and for their future. And I just want to warn you, the way that the human condition is going, chances are the next generation, it will be worse for them than it was for this generation. And the generation that comes after that will probably be worse. Look, when this mama prays, God stands up and hears that prayer. And the reason he hears that prayer is this is no fancy words and, uh, you know, uh, impressive vocabulary. This is the kind of snot coming out of your nose, chest heaving, pouring it all out to God. Got nothing left. I'm physically exhausted at the end of this prayer because God, if you don't hear from heaven, God, if you don't intervene, then I am absolutely totally hopeless. And I am convinced that this is the kind of prayer that God stands up and takes notice. This is the kind of prayer that God says, now I can work with that because now we're being that honest with each other. And when this mama prays, man, God hears. And what you see next is God heeds that prayer. Now it is no promise that if you're childless and you pray like Hannah prayed, that you're going to get the results that Hannah got. That's not what the Bible is saying. But I want to challenge all of us. Don't pray those nice, simple, easy, fancy words prayers. No, it's this raw, honest, pouring it all out, got nothing left at the end of that prayer. That's the kind of prayer that God hears. That's the kind of prayer that really moves God's heart. We normally give away a gift to mothers in this in this building on Mother's Day, we typically give away our carnation. We chose not to give away that gift today, but to give something different instead. It's not because we're trying to save money. We wanted to do something for the moms that are tuned in from around the country and around the world. So we're giving you a free book called The Confessions by St. Augustine or Augustine. Now, let me explain to you why we're given this book. I have read this book more than any other book, more often than any other book on earth except the Bible. I keep going back and back again and again to this book. And the reason why we're giving you this book is not only is Augustine a hero in the faith for me, actually he is my hero in the faith. Not only was this book written almost 1800 years ago, and it's still around today, which tells you a little bit about what's in that book. The real reason why I wanted you to read that book is because of his mama. This woman prayed and labored before God for decades for her son, and he realized it. And it was, it was Monica, his mother's prayers, that God heard, and God reached down and grasped this wicked Roman citizen by the name of Augustine and turned him into the greatest voice for Christianity in a thousand years because of the prayers of his mama. And if you have not read this book before, read this book this week and focus not on Augustine, but focus on Monica, his mama, because that's the kind of prayer that you see Hannah praying. 
before God ever delivers a son to her who will touch the world. See, Hannah is present in the pain. She's praying for her family and she's struggling. And I want you to know, mama, that you have the same temptations today that she had. You can be so focused on what's in front of you, so focused on what's coming next that you can miss right now with your family. Don't make that mistake. Look at what happens next, starting in verse 17. Eli responds to Hannah, go in peace And may the God of Israel grant the request that you've made of him. Chances are that Eli is acting in his official capacity as high priest, and he is making a prophecy here. That's really what I think is going on. Hannah replies, may your servant find favor with you. And then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterwards, they returned home to Ramah. They went back to his hometown. And then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord, look at this word, remembered her. That's the language of the Lord heard that prayer, and now he's ready to answer it. After some time, Hannah conceived gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. The name Samuel literally means a favor from God or a request from God. And when Elkanah and all of his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go. She explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and he, Samuel, will stay there permanently. Now I want you to just, I hope that this hits you like a ton of bricks. What's going on here? Because she has felt this pain and the scourge, the disgrace and the shame, been taunted by her rival, the other wife, about not being able to have a child. And then finally, God reaches down from heaven and does the, the thing that she's been praying for, probably for years, and she says, I'm going to give this child back to the Lord. But before that happens, I'm going to keep him at home and I'm going to wean him. Now, we believe that it was probably three years that Hannah kept Samuel at home. And when he was three years old, then she went to the tabernacle and then she presented him to the Lord. And from that point forward, Samuel no longer lived with Hannah. Samuel would live with Eli and would live in God's presence. Think about those three years of how precious these moments were for Hannah, how precious these moments were for any mother. You already know this out there, ladies, those of you who are mothers, those children that are in your house, they're beautiful, they're precious, but they also grow and one day they'll be gone. Before you say hallelujah, I just want to remind you that one of these days they'll move out. And the influence that you have over your child, it's usually different after they move out. Yeah, mama or daddy will still influence them as adults. But chances are that influence is radically different. Did you know for decades when people are surveyed in the United States, when 
researchers asked them, who has made the greatest impact in your life? Every year, year in and year out for decades, the first answer by a long shot is parents. My parents made a bigger impact on me than teachers, than, than business leaders, than politicians, than coaches. Nobody left a bigger dent on me than my parent. And given the way that the family is in the absentee fatherhood in the United States and around the world, chances are what those people were saying is mama. Nobody impacted me like mama. And here's why. She was there day in and day out. She never gave up. She never turned her back on me. She was always there for me when I needed her, even when it felt like everybody else was turning their back on me. There's this crazy superstition. I don't know if you've ever heard about this or not. There are some people, I don't, I don't get these people, but they believe that it's actually good luck for a stork to build a nest on top of their home. Have you ever heard this? Now, look, I don't, I'm not going to go through the birds and the bees and explain to you that storks don't, don't deliver babies. That's not where babies come from. That's not what this is all about. I was trying to figure out where does this ridiculous superstition come from? And it actually comes from the way that a stork mothers her children. In fact, when uh, naturalists and scientists watched a stork, they would see the unprecedented care that she would take day in and day out. She never left the side of her babies. Even in a fire, a forest fire, and this is where the crazy superstition comes from. When the flames are sweeping across the forest and mama stork has built a nest in the trees, when those flames start to get close to her nest, instead of running away, instead of trying to take her chicks to escape, when the flames get right next to that nest, she will start flapping her wings as hard as she can. And when the researchers watch this, mama will be impacted. She will be burned. She will be covered with soot. But after the fire passes through, her babies will be completely unharmed, untouched by the flame. And that's why a lot of people believe when a stork builds a nest on your roof, I guess if there's a fire that passes over your house, those wings are going to protect your whole house. See how crazy people are like this? But I also want you to know it is mama's influence in the home day in and day out. And by the way, I'm not trying to put down the mamas who go to work. There is a strong temptation today to make you feel like you're less than a good mama if you have to leave the home to go to work. I'm talking about mama being there for the children when nobody else is there. That leaves an impact for a lifetime. And when people are asked this question year in and year out by a landslide, They say, it's mama in the home that left the biggest impact on me. And now Hannah does something that frankly is mind-blowing. And I really want to ask you, guys, ladies, if you're in her shoes, do you do what she does next? Because we're going to wrap this up today by looking at the promise she made to God And is this woman really going to go through with this promise? God says, okay, Hannah, I heard you. You asked for a son. Okay, Hannah, I'll give you a son. And you can name him Samuel. And then look at what happens next when this mom keeps her vow or keeps her promise. Her husband Elkanah replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. 
May the Lord confirm your word. Or basically, may the Lord honor your word and you honor your word to the Lord. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. She had him, when she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh as well as a three-year-old bull. This is why we think she probably spent three years with him at home before she took him to the tent and to to offer up her son um, back to the Lord. She took him as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked uh, him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And then he, and by the way, some translations say they, then he worshiped the Lord there. Then they worshiped the Lord. And Hannah's way of worshiping was by offering the ultimate sacrifice. I want you to think about this for a second, ladies. You have prayed for your adult life for a child. You've gone through the pain of not being able to conceive and all of the ridicule that goes along with it. And you pour your heart out and God hears that prayer. He remembers that prayer and he gives you a child. And you know how much joy comes from that three-year-old bouncing boy and all of the joy that he brings in the house. At this stage, do you give him away? Do you take him to the tabernacle? I know what I said, God, but things are different now. Because I have fallen in love with this baby. And it is amazing how fast a human being can love another human being immediately after they come out of the womb. This child is probably toddler age. And she's looking at him. And deep in her heart, she has to ask the question, am I really going to do what I promised God that I was going to do? Am I going to give this boy back to him? No question, he came from him. But am I about to give this boy back to him? I want you to notice something about Hannah's influence over Samuel. Do you know who writes this book of the Bible called 1st and 2nd Samuel? Anybody want to take a guess? Samuel writes this book. And it's not a coincidence that before you learn anything else about Samuel, he says, I need you to know about my mama. And then what you're going to read next is Samuel becomes one of the greatest prophets in the entire history of the Bible. Samuel becomes one of the greatest judges, the last of the great judges in the Bible, which means he led all of Israel. Samuel becomes a kingmaker and anoints not just one, but Saul and King David to become one of the greatest kings in the Bible. And it's all because of Samuel. And Samuel says, you want to know where my influence comes from? It comes from my mama. And I need everybody to know how much that woman influenced me. And I think you really can say that Hannah influenced Israel 
by the way that she influenced her son. She influenced the future kings of Israel. She influenced Israel when he judged Israel. She influenced him as one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. And Samuel says, you need to, if you're going to know about me, you really got to know about my mama who made the ultimate sacrifice. Here it is. Here's the challenge. I want to ask you, Hannah realized all human life comes from God and God deserves the glory or the credit for all human life. And I'm going to give back to God what ultimately belongs to him in the first place. And here's what I'm going to do, Two Cities Church. I'm going to challenge you to make the same kind of commitment. I'm going to challenge you tomorrow when you get up to make Hannah's vow. God, the reason why I have breath in my lungs, I didn't do anything to uh, end up here on planet earth. It's because of you that I'm here. And this life that I live, God, it's not for my sake. All of the church fathers for centuries have taught that the reason why humans exist in the first place is ultimately to bring glory to God. So God, you gave me life and you leave me here on planet earth to bring glory to you. Tomorrow morning when I get up, instead of living for myself, look up here for a second. I am going to give this life that you gave me back to you. And I'm going to live for your glory. Wherever that is, whatever that looks like, tomorrow morning, God, I'm going to get up and I'm going to live for your glory. And if you will make that vow, he will do something beautiful in you. And I really believe he will do something powerful through you, just like he did through Hannah, this very simple vow that touched all of Israel and is still touching God's people today because of the man that Samuel, his son or her son became. So I'm going to pray for us. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.